A letter to my mountaintop family. I write you in pursuit of unity, an effort to strengthen that which bonds us together in Christ Jesus. It is my prayer that these thoughts find you enveloped by his hope and peace, even in the midst of a world marked by confusion and chaos. Mountaintop, I am convinced that God has equipped us for a specific purpose in this specific time for our city. So this letter seeks to answer this question. How are we being called deeper into the mission of the kingdom of God for the sake of our neighbors? In order to best answer this question, I think it is important that we first understand that the mission of the kingdom of God is one of hospitality. Since the beginning of time, God's mission has been one of welcome, and he is inviting us into it. We see this best reflected in the person of Jesus Christ. While we were far from God, he drew near. Jesus was God's mission of hospitality, dressed in skin. Even when we were strangers to God, he was working through Jesus to invite us back to the table. Jesus set for us an example of incarnational ministry marked by hospitality. And so I write this letter to you today to encourage you, to challenge you, to help us refocus on this mission of hospitality. I believe that God has called us to adopt this posture of welcoming and that this posture is central to our mission to reach our neighbors. In my five years here at Mountaintop, I've found my home. This community has truly transcended to become my family. And as many of you are aware, family often comes with trials, pain, and disappointment. These past few years have certainly been witness to that. The great author C.S. Lewis told us that to love at all is to be vulnerable. We can ensure that our love will not be betrayed or our hearts broken only by denying to love anything at all. Lewis warns us that although this ensures our love will not be broken, it will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. Over the last few years, we have been broken a time or two. However, I pray that our hearts are still open to the love that we have in each other and in Christ Jesus. I believe that in our vulnerability, God has found hearts that are still willing to be penetrated by his invitation to love. 1 Peter 4.8 calls us to this type of love. It says, Above all else, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. The love that Peter describes as earnest is the type of love that endures tension, that holds up to stretching. And we have certainly been stretched at times, haven't we? Through it all, it is my hope that this stretching has helped us to grow. I can't help but think that the image in Peter's mind when he's writing about this type of love was a picture of his best friend stretched out on the cross. This is how he knows that this type of love covers a multitude of sins. And when we imitate this type of love, the outstretched love of Jesus, when we endure tension to fight for unity, when we allow ourselves to be stretched for the sake of love, Peter testifies that a multitude of sins are covered. It is this family of love that has made Mountaintop home for me. I have a place to call home 
that is always willing to pull up a chair at the table and serve me a warm plate of the hope I have in Jesus. I have a people that I belong to that give me a place to lay my head when I need the peace of God in this weary world. It is my prayer, then, that Mountaintop would not only be a place that you and I call home, but that it would be a place of refuge for all the weary travelers who call Birmingham their home. Our neighbors who are still searching for Jesus are looking for such a place. Whether they know it or not, they are looking for a home and a place to belong. This is something we all desire because our Creator designed a need for community within each of us. This is why hospitality is so central to our mission. We must not forget that our sense of place and belonging are gifts from God. By the grace of God, we were once lost, but now we are found. We were blind, and now not only do we see, but we are seen. We have found our home. The chief struggle of our age is a deep, existential homelessness. We are living in a world that is longing to be home. Our neighbors have no place to anchor their identities. And as a result, they are finding them in all sorts of destructive places. They have no hope as a firm foundation for their souls, and they are sinking. You see, our neighbors don't need our opinions or our traditions or our buildings. They need to be found, seen, known. They need our presence, our hospitality. So. Will we follow the mission of God outside of our comfort zone? Or will we take on a posture of fortification and guard ourselves from the chaos of the world while all along barring out the very ones in need of a home? Will we dig in our heels and adopt a posture of domination in an effort to triumph over culture, thus labeling our neighbors as enemies rather than guests? Will we embrace a posture of accommodation in hopes of appeasing our neighbors only define that we've contributed to their happiness, but not their wholeness. No. Instead, I believe we are called to a posture of invitation. Jesus once told a story about a man who invited many guests to a great banquet. And so the man commanded his servants, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and invite some guests. In effect, he told them to go out to the street corners where the homeless and sick were begging to be found and invite them in. Then he said, Find your way to the back alleys, where those stumbling around in darkness are blind to how lost they truly are, and welcome them as well. The servants did so, and yet there was still room for guests. So their master continued, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, so that my house will be full. The servants went to the well-traveled highways and brought an invitation to the weary travelers who were searching for a place to lay their heads. Then they searched the hedges behind the walls, to welcome even those who had previously been unwelcomed. This is who we are. We are servants sent to deliver good news to the street corners and alleys. We are a house of hospitality to all those begging to be found and those too lost to know they want to be. We have been sent by our master to the highways and hedges. We are a warm welcome to those wearied by this world and we break through walls and barriers to ensure that no one is kept from coming home. This is my prayer for us, Mountaintop, that we would become a church that creates pathways for people to find Jesus, that we wouldn't stop until the house of our Lord is full, that we would realize that there is always more room to invite our neighbors to journey with Jesus. The Spirit of God is waiting in the streets of Birmingham. I look forward to joining you there, in Christ and to his kingdom. 
Jake Davis. Thank you, Jake. Welcome. Yeah. So we're going to have a little bit of a conversation. I love what you talked about there about uh, home, that mountaintop is your home. If you're looking to make mountaintop uh, feel a little bit more like home, whether you're watching online or whether you're here in person, one of the things that we've created after uh, every Sunday is a, as a, what we call a digital atrium. So uh, we're gonna have a chance uh, right underneath our, our big awning covering right out front. Uh, if you're here in person, come there. If you're online, you can uh, find that uh, website, um, I believe coming up right there uh, on your screen where you can you know, go, to that, uh, go to that Zoom meeting and we can meet up and we would love to just connect with you. We'd love to, to get to know you so that this feels a little bit more like home. Hey, I wanna ask you a couple questions about your letter. And, uh, but before I do, uh, we're so grateful for the people that support this ministry and you are one of the people and one of the ministries that we support. Uh, so tell us what a media and teaching pastor does. Okay. Today you're teaching. Yeah, today I'm teaching. Uh, media, so I, um, I've been grateful over the past uh, three and a half months that uh, I have a team of volunteers um, who make Sunday mornings happen. And as you know, that has been quite different over the past few months. Um, and the way that they've adapted um, kind of just on the ball has been um, a testament to how, how seriously they take their call to um, not just produce a quality product online. What they're really doing is um, making it possible for people to experience and have encounters with Jesus. Yeah. And, um, and so... What has happened is because of the generosity of our congregation, we've been able over the last few months to basically totally revolutionize the way that we deliver um, services um, online and in the room. And uh, you know, the quality that we were streaming online before this was good, but we've really upped our game over the last few months um, and uh, you know, increased traffic online, more churches streaming than ever before, um, and we're able um, to deliver our services to our congregation. And, um, you know, what we're learning in this season is that more than ever, people are online. That's where they are. And so if we want to reach them for Jesus, we need to be there as well. Yeah. And so yeah. um, that's one of so, the ways that we do that. Absolutely. Thank you for those of you that give uh, to support that. You're, uh, you can give online. You can give through texting to give. I believe that information will be there on your screen. If you're here in person and you give online, that's great. If you'd like to give a, a physical gift, we've got some boxes right outside of what you leave. And, you know, you don't just... You don't just give so that we can produce a service. You're giving to help connect people. Uh, cool story, just during this whole season, uh, I've got friends that live two states away that I went to high school with who haven't seen in years, um, but they're sending me messages saying, hey, I'm working 12-hour shifts at a hospital, but when in my downtime, I've been watching Mountaintop for the last two or three months. And and it's blessed me. And so what a cool thing. You're helping reach people that, uh, that we wouldn't normally get to reach. So you, in your letter, you said that you write in hopes of unity or something like that. You, you use that word unity, unity. Yeah. yeah, in a spirit of unity. 
What, what is unity? Why did you, why'd you say that? Why do you think that's important? Well, um, what, our, um, what we've been through together as a family of God over the last few years, um, I think when I, when I look back at the last few years, I, I am just um, amazed at the way that we've pulled together um, and I, and you know, I, I think that, um, you know, our, our enemy, Satan, um, is a strong proponent of disunity and yeah. chaos. And so I think that the last few years from mountaintop have been evidence of, um, a spiritual attack because Satan wants nothing more than to divide the people of God. And, um, so I just want mountaintop to know that anytime that I write to you, anytime that I get an opportunity to share God's word with you. I do it in a, in a spirit of unity. Um, I'm pursuing unity because I want us to be together. Um, I think we're better together, and I think that God calls us as um, his people to be united in Christ. Um, and, you know, I'm more and more convinced, Carter, yeah. that that's only possible in the church. Yeah, I mean, just look at our world, man. It yeah. is ripping apart at the seams. <clears throat> And there's so much disunity and chaos, and I think that we have an opportunity um, in this uh, diverse body of believers to be a light to the world of what unity really looks like. Yeah. Um, and I think that's only possible for the person of Jesus Christ. Yeah. I, amen. Um, I, think, I think Satan's having a field day right now, looking at the world, looking at the church. Um, and, and I'll say that with a big C. Uh, the only place worse than Christian Facebook is Christian Twitter. Amen. Right? Christian Facebook, you argue with your friends. Christian Twitter, you argue with strangers. Um, or just no one. <laughs> or just no one, yeah. And so there's so much division. And, and it was, you said that I thought about the one prayer that Jesus prayed for you, for me, for you. When he prayed for everyone who would believe because of the witness and the testimony of his disciples. That's all of us. That's us. Mm -hmm. And this was his prayer, that they would be one. And if we could be one in a, such a divided and divisive world, what a testimony that would be. Um, you, you said something, it was an interesting kind of phrase, I wrote it down, for the sake of our neighbors. Yeah. Tell me what you mean by that. Well, I think that, um, well I know that the, 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 when in scripture, when people ask what is the greatest commandment Right? It's to love our Lord, our God, as, uh, with all of our heart, soul, mind, strength, um, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Um, and so I think that a love for our neighbors is a natural outflowing of uh, the love that we have for God and the love that we've experienced in the community of God. And so I just think about um, our neighbors who, like I said in the video, are, they don't have a place to put their hope. Yeah. Um, and I think that this current season has made people more realistic about that, mm. that they've looked internally and they've looked at their worlds and things have been turned upside down. And I think they're more, more than ever willing to be honest with themselves, uh, that they're hopeless. Yeah. And we have that hope in us. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I, I think back to, um, you know, when I was hopeless and I needed a savior and how Jesus reached out to me, how cruel would it be for me to then look at my neighbors 
who are experiencing that same distance from God and not be moved to offer them the same life preserver that I was offered. Yeah, it's a shift in thinking because we often think about um, uh, where where do I go to church, Mm -hmm. right? But I don't think we're called to just go to church, we're called to be the church for the sake of the world. And so we've taken what you just said, love your neighbor as yourself, um, I read a couple of years ago, Bob Goff, in one of his books, he, he, said, he had the quote that Jesus didn't want you to know that he said, love your neighbors. He said to love your neighbors. Yeah. It's not enough to just know that he said it. Mm-hmm. And we have put Christian, we've made Christianity just, just knowledge. Yeah. And that was actually a command. Someone asked Jesus, what are the two greatest commands? Yeah. Love God and love your neighbor. Yeah. Right, so it's so the last question. Okay. What... Um, there was a, a comment in there about kind of reaching people who don't even know th- if they need it. You, you just sort of talked about that. How in the world do we reach people who don't even know they need reaching? Yeah. Um, you know, I think part of it is just this call to do life with people. Mm. Um, when you look at the life of Jesus and the way that he lived his life, he just lived life with people. Yeah. He would ha- share a meal with them right? He would enter into their homes um, and just kind of journey alongside them. And I think that's what we're called to do with our neighbors, is to just do life with them. Um, And you know, like I said, for me, when I look back at the time in my life when I didn't know the hope that I needed, um, the time that I got serious about my faith is when I realized that I had no other options. Yeah. Um, And that's when I reached out to, to Jesus, and I, I, I think that um, our world is getting to that place. Yeah. And listen, we, um, you know, we were blind, and now we see. Um, we didn't perform that miracle in our own lives. We're not the miracle workers. We're not the healers. So we can't make people see. That's not our job. Our job is to be there when Jesus is revealed to them, hopefully through the way that we interact with them. Hopefully they see Jesus in us and that's the thing that opens their eyes to the beauty of the gospel, um, to the love that they have in Jesus. So, yeah, That's good. I, I think, so when Jesus told Peter, when Peter made the proclamation and you, you used some of Peter's um, part of in your message, some of his letter, when, when Peter made the proclamation that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus told Peter, upon that rock, upon that statement of faith, I'm gonna build my church. And the word that's written in the scriptures is ekklesia, the Greek word, which means a gathering, an assembly, a people. And when the Gutenberg Bible got written that in German and translated out of Greek, it got changed to kirch, which is a German word for building. And all of a sudden, ever since, we begin to think about church as a building. But if we could just be what Jesus said, just like you said, so that people look at a people, (laughs) or maybe even one person, and see the church, um, they might see what they might be missing. So that's good stuff. I know you're gonna close us up in just a minute to talk a little bit more about kind of this radical hospitality, what that looks like, and... um, Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And I want to just invite you where you are. Would you just 
put your hands on, on your knees, just open them up as we go to the Lord and ask us to, um, to have a posture of openness to receive from the Lord. Heavenly Father, we just received this word this morning. We receive it, God, with humility that we might be one, that there might be something that unites us bigger than all the divisions of this world. And that's our posture before you as your children redeemed by your son. And Lord, we wanna be an assembly, a gathering, a people in Birmingham that would reflect your kingdom, that would reflect heaven. <laughs> so Lord, that's our prayer. Would you make us, would you make us who you want us to be? Would your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Would your will be done in Birmingham as it is in heaven? Would your will be done in Vestavia Hills and Hoover and Bessemer and Alabaster and Mountain Brook and Homewood and Crestview and Crestwood and, and all of our highways and byways, God? Would your will be done here as it is in heaven? That people might have their eyes opened to the Christ, the Son of the living God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Y'all can be seated. I appreciate the opportunity to share my heart with you um, as, as our church this morning. Um, you might be asking yourself, what do you mean by hospitality? What is this radical hospitality that you think God is calling us to? And I think that's a good question um, because I think sometimes we get hospitality confused with just the hospitality industry, right? Like, well, we have good coffee in our atrium and uh, we smile when people walk in our doors, and so we're hospitable, we're welcoming, right? That's not exactly what I'm talking about. The word hospitality is actually really interesting. Um, its root word is hospital, right? Which we don't typically think of hospitals as very welcoming places. The word hospital uh, comes from the Latin word hospice, which means guest or host. It's this idea that there is a, there's a guest and they're being hosted by someone. The guests in a hospital, we know, are called patients. And patients come from the Latin word for suffering. And so when I call us as a community to hospitality, what I'm calling us to is to recognize that we are all patients, that we all at some point in our life have been suffering, and that God, the host, welcomes us as his guests. Like I talked about in my letter, there's this great banquet 
and God has invited us to it. And, and then he sends us out as his servants to the alleys and the streets, to the highways and the hedges to reach those people to come and be guests here. And so hospitality means to suffer with people, to step into their world, to step into their lives, to see things from their perspective, and to allow that to change us, to have compassion for them, and to love them as Jesus loves us. My daughter's obsession is uh, the Disney movie Moana. She's almost two, so that's pretty appropriate, I think. Um, maybe you've seen it, maybe you haven't. If you haven't, it's the story of an island of villagers who have become comfortable at home. They have found their place and they know where they belong. They even sing a song about how the island has everything they need. They sing, who needs a new song? This, old's one, this old one's all we need. They have become so comfortable, in fact, that they ignore the darkness that looms on the other side of their reef. They have only one rule. No one goes beyond the reef. That is, until Moana, she begins singing a new song she feels called to go address the darkness that threatens their world. She feels pulled beyond the reef. I believe God in a similar fashion is calling us from our comfort and welcoming us to sing a new song of hospitality and to join him beyond the reef. I think in order to understand what hospitality looks like fleshed out in our lives, we need to go to scripture. Can't think of a better place than the story of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. Uh, Jesus is again telling a story and he gets asked that question, what is the greatest commandment? Love your neighbor, love God and love your neighbor is the answer. And then he begins to tell this story to explain what that looks like. This man is uh, walking on the road uh, to Jericho and it's a dangerous road and he gets attacked by robbers. They leave him half dead in the side of a street. And the Levite and a priest walk by him and don't help him. And then a Samaritan comes. A Samaritan who would have been the greatest enemy of those listening to Jesus tell this story. And so they would have expected that when this Samaritan walked up to him that he would have passed by as well. But he doesn't. And I think we have a lot to learn from this man. So we pick up in verse 33. It says, a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He sees him. And it moves him to compassion. His greatest enemy is half dead in the ditch. And his response is one of empathy. Hospitality means that we take on a posture of empathy. When people are suffering, we seek to understand them. We listen to them. We try to 
see things through, see the world through their eyes, see their suffering for what it is. We're empathetic. We don't try to explain their suffering away. We don't try to tell them that their suffering isn't as bad as other suffering. No, we just, we have empathy. And we allow that empathy to move us to compassion. Because it's not enough just to be empathetic, right? It's not enough just to know that we're supposed to love our neighbors. We have to do something about it. And so it says the man went to him. The Samaritan went to him and bound up his wounds. It's not just about empathy. It's about proximity. He comes near the man in the ditch, close enough to see his suffering firsthand. And he binds up his wounds. He gets a little dirty. He doesn't stop to think to himself, oh, I mean, I wonder what this man did to deserve being in this ditch. He doesn't stop and think, well, maybe my own safety would be put at risk because the robbers might still be around and they might attack me when they see me going to help him. No, he just, his empathy has moved him to compassion, which has caused proximity to be his goal. And so he goes to the man, even if it means getting a little messy. And then this is a little uncomfortable. It says he pours his own oil and wine on the man's wounds. He realizes that empathy is not enough. It, it, it must extend itself into proximity and there's great power when you come near someone, but you can't just be near them. You have to give them a solution for the suffering that they're in and so he's a generous Samaritan. Hospitality calls us to a radical generosity that says I will pour out of my own resources to meet you where you're at. The Samaritan did nothing to cause the debt that this man was experiencing in the ditch. But yet he paid the cost out of his own pocket. He poured the oil and wine and then later he gives two days wages to pay for this man to stay somewhere safe. God is calling us as his people to display the same type of generosity, to use our resources to reach people with the hope of the gospel that also meets their physical suffering head on. But it doesn't stop there. He keeps going. It says he poured out his own oil and wine and then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out those two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. You see, he uses his own animal to carry this burden. This man must have been so overwhelmed with, what he, with the trauma that he had just endured, getting robbed and beaten half to death. And the Samaritan offers to carry the load for him. And so we can't just be people of empathy and proximity and generosity. We have to be a people that are willing to carry the burdens of our neighbors. Who says, it looks like you're having trouble with that load. Why don't you let me take some of it 
off of you. He takes him to the innkeeper and he says to the innkeeper, take care of him. See, he realizes that this man can't speak for himself. He he can't afford to speak for himself. He's in too vulnerable of a position and so what does he do? He advocates on his behalf. We're called to advocate for our neighbors, for those who are voiceless, for those whose voices have been silenced. We speak up. We advocate. Because we realize that sometimes our neighbors don't even know the hope they're looking for. And they need someone who's willing to advocate for them and meet them in their suffering. Finally, he says to the innkeeper, whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. See, he recognizes that by putting this man into the care of a stranger, he's put him into a vulnerable, vulnerable position. There's an opportunity now for the innkeeper to maybe take advantage of the situation and to further abuse the man, right? He can, he can charge him more that he cannot pay. His wounds probably will keep him sedentary for a while. And so the Samaritan says, no, I'm, I'm not going to let you take advantage of the situation. I will cover for this man. I'll vouch for him. Whatever debt he accrues, I'll pay for it. He carries his burdens. He advocates for him when he cannot speak for himself and he covers for him. The love that we share among us that I was talking about earlier that covers a multitude of sins, when that begins to define us, it extends into our community and we have the opportunity to cover for our neighbors. And you might be like, man, that sounds like a lot. And it it is. But aren't you thankful that Jesus didn't think the cost was too high? That he had great empathy for us. That he saw us in our suffering and it moved him to compassion and he wasn't willing to just let us suffer, he chose proximity. He came near to us, he put skin on. He understood what it meant to be human, to suffer. And when he was near us, he didn't just then leave for us to figure out our suffering on our own, no, he was very generous. Oh, did he pour out of himself so that we might be healed. And then he carried the burden of our sin to the grave so that we don't have to carry it anymore. And he defeated sin and death. And while he was Ed, he advocated for us, 
right there in the throne room of God, the wrath of God positioned against our sin. There was no one to stand on our behalf but Jesus stood in the gap and he advocated for you and for me. And then his love covered our multitude of sins. Man, that's the beauty of the gospel. And we're called to be imitators of the man that we follow. And so radical hospitality means that we show empathy to our neighbors, we move near them. We're generous with what we have to make sure that all know of the hope they have in Jesus. We're people who carry burdens for each other and for our community. We're people that advocate those who have no voice and we're people that cover for our neighbors and invite them into the cover that we've received in this community. A strong refuge in a world of chaos. So, mountaintop, will we heed the call of hospitality? Will we be a people who are welcoming to our neighbors? Pray with me. Jesus, we, um, and we're so grateful. We're so grateful for the way that you came near to us. That while we were still sinners, you were working to reconcile us. And God, you've invited us back to the table, and so now, It is our job to pull up a seat at that table for our neighbors and make sure they know that no matter what they're going through, they're welcome here. They have a place to belong and a place to journey alongside Jesus in a community that loves them with the type of love that stretches to cover type of love that we're so thankful you showed for us so that our sins can be forgiven. May we extend that same grace and that same mercy to our world who so desperately needs it. Let me pray this in your name. Amen.